everyone and welcome back to our 18th episode of Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Rebecca. I'm Tash. And I'm Emma. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> we did the weird hi again, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it even our podcast if we don't do that? I feel like it's our signature intro now. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> so... Are we all still friends after I asked you to watch that movie? Just about. I was. I I started posting a um, Facebook status saying like, um, "Is your friend even a friend if she makes you watch a really scary film?" Um, but then I <laughs> just thought people might think I'm being really, really bitchy, so I didn't post it. <laughs> but I honestly, I watch so many horror films. I don't know why it scared me so much. I think it's because I didn't pick it. <laughs> you know, like when you're told to do something. I was a bit like, I don't want to do it. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't exactly like force you, did I? Well, I just... You asked and I'm a good friend. So when somebody asks me to do something, I do it. Oh, bless your heart. So I asked Becky and Tash to watch The Conjuring in preparation for this episode because I'm going to be talking all about the Perone or Peron the Peron 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 I'm quite sure I should have probably thought of that before we started podcasting shouldn't I (laughs) I think it's a Peron family if we'd have thought of things in advance and everything and prepared things properly it wouldn't be our podcast would it no it wouldn't (laughs) it'd be too professional (laughs) I do think it's a Perone family. So, yeah, as you probably gathered, it's based on a true story. I mean, terrifying. Loosely based. So, yeah, Andrea Perone actually said they had to kind of dull down the film a little bit because otherwise it would have been too terrifying. Well, I don't know how that could have been more scary, so... Thanks for toning it down, guys. Yeah, she said, yeah, they had to tone it down because originally the uh, producers or directors or whatever, I don't know how the film industry works, wanted um, a a rating of PG-13. What? How could they make that a PG-13? I know. And uh, it was categorically refused and obviously it was R-rated. So God knows what it would have been like if they'd have included everything all the details. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't have been able to play it. It would have been those one of those horrors that get like blacklisted or whatever. Possibly. Yeah. You know, like is that was it the Exorcist that couldn't be that was like banned or something? Oh, possibly. Yeah, that rings a bell actually. Yeah. I st- I still slept okay afterwards though. It made me jump yeah, quite a I few mean, times. Yeah. No, but. I had to watch like three episodes of really rubbish dating programs sometimes you just have to watch something a bit daft yeah so i just wasn't thinking about it until i went a bit laughing at these weird people on a dating show who plays hide and clap i mean that in itself no, but on. i don't know i don't know if i can cope with any of this tonight <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it made me think though Clapping's so weird. Like, when we're happy, we clap our hands together. <laughs> it's so strange. 
Oh, that fuck's sake. Only, only Becky would be watching that film thinking... No, but it is weird. She is right. She is right. It is weird. I did. I started thinking about it and then I had to put the, fo- uh, put the film back on again. Like, rewind it because I wasn't listening. I just went off. But how satisfying is a high five? <gasps> when you so get it just right. But annoying when oh, you miss I each other's hands. high five. Yeah. But have you ever high five someone whilst having sex? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, like someone else in the room. <laughs> no, I don't do that. Or, or like, the person that you're having, you're having sex, sex with. Sex with someone, you high. Yeah. What like? <laughs> thanks for the orgasm. <laughs> high five. No, like during sex. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna try that. Oh yeah. Oh well, stop. Hold on. <laughs> high five. <laughs> 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 Tash, have yeah. you high five someone during sex? Yeah, <laughs> I think multiple people. Multiple? Not like not multiple people at the same like time. Like during down the line. Eh? Oh, eh? Yeah, like during? Yeah. I can kind of understand afterwards. No, don't you ever have like? I mean, please don't put any of this in because my mum does. This is gold. Oh, this is staying, staying in. <laughs> Did you have sex with a with a, with an American frat boy? No, no, I've never had sex with an American person. But yeah, I've definitely high five someone during sex. <laughs> I still am. Not, I don't. I don't understand it. <laughs> 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 but it's been a very long time since I had sex, so I can't really remember the con the context. But yeah, I've definitely done that. So guys, if you've ever high fived someone during <laughs> sex, email us. Let us know. We want to know. Is this a done thing? <laughs> Fucking weirdos. It must be because I didn't high five myself, did I? So somebody else participated in the high five, so they must have thought it was exactly acceptable too oh have you ever gone in for a high five and just kind of been left hanging yeah that's the worst that's one of the worst feelings that's one of the ones you know when you're trying to sleep and your brain starts to remind you of all the embarrassing (laughs) things that you've done one of my missed high fives was one of them and i sort of like went I don't know. I thought something. You know when did you like goes, stroke the side of your hair or push your hair back? Or no, you have to just be bold about that, don't you? And say you're going to leave me hanging. I just kind of high fived the air. Just... <laughs> 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 if you imagine, just put your hand up as a high five, and then just imagine no one. Do... <laughs> it doesn't notice that you're going in for one. You just sort of like go, yeah, and then put your hand down. <laughs> I really hate it when you high five someone, and it's such a disappointing high five. Or oh, their hands sweaty. Like it's just a bit limp and a bit shit. Like, or you get half a hand. Like, yeah, like don't miss it. And the temperature of other people's hands always shocks me. Lots of people have like clammy hands or really hot hands. Yeah. Yeah, what the like fuck are we hands. talking about? <laughs> I was trying to set my story up. I was like... <laughs> smooth intro, straight to it, no faffing around. Then we've got... No, five minutes of hand clapping slash high-fiving talk is very, very important to the podcast. <sighs> if, if you say so. <laughs> so... 
Friday night, we all watched The Conjuring, and it is a pretty scary film. I think we can all agree. There's a lot of jumps in yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not keen Makes on that music box. Not keen on that. Nah. So yeah, I thought it would be interesting for us all to watch the film and then hear the true story so you can see that, you know, the film is very loosely based on the true story. Yeah. So, the Arnold Estate, or as it's known now, the Conjuring House. So the Arnold Estate was built in 1736 in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The farmhouse that is still there today is actually sitting upon the foundations of the original building that dates back to 1680. So that house is old as shit. It's like one of the only remaining colonial houses or something ridiculous. Oh, really? That's cool. Is it? Because you said it while you were yawning, so it felt less cool. I'm so sorry. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) You've set me off and now I yawn as well. Sorry. This is a great start to the story. That's so interesting. (laughs) So Tasha's still recovering from glandular fever, so she's tired, okay? So we'll let her yawn, it's fine. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. (laughs) And my sex stories. Less. I appreciate those less. (laughs) Oh. So, we don't laugh. This is scary as hell, man. That's why we laugh, otherwise we'd cry. Yeah, possibly. The house survived the revolution and endured many extreme storms, including one in 1938 that destroyed quite a lot of houses in the surrounding areas. Uh, One of the former residents of the farmhouse has some kind of theory that the reason that the house, like, just stands firm no matter what is that it is, in fact, some kind of porthole that's... uh, Porthole? (laughs) (laughs) What's a porthole? (laughs) Isn't that a a window on a ship? A (laughs) porthole? I meant portal. <laughs> I meant portal. <laughs> Porthole. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Oh, I don't Why know. Why did you do this? So it is a bag of portal. That was so funny. <laughs> <Portal>. <laughs> so yeah, the the reason the house stood firm with all this going on for all these years is because in fact it's a portal <laughs> i'm very <laughs> self-conscious of how i'm saying it now portal said it weird portal it's a portal there's no h in it is there i'm not saying an h portal you are you're okay. saying porthole <laughs> a vortex it's, like... it's a vortex yeah, or something great, unworldly great. disguised as a, a house. door to another world yeah exactly a porthole <laughs> This gets you back foot well way. <laughs> oh, dearie me. For many generations, the house stayed in the same family, the Arnolds, for eight generations in total. And then it was sold to someone called Mr. Kenyon, whose son eventually pressured him to move out and the house was put up for sale. I say pressured him to move out. It was probably like, you're getting on, come and live nearer to us so we can look after you, you know, kind of yeah. scenario. Yeah. So the Arnold estate was put up for sale. And this is where the story really begins with the Perone family. So 
in the family, we've got Roger and Carolyn, and they had five daughters. Andrea's the oldest, then Nancy, Christine. Now, I've got Cynthia, but in a lot of interviews, they said Cindy. So I'm assuming the shortened name for Cynthia was Cindy. And the youngest was April. So it's really strange because before they even knew they were going to move or buy the house or whatever, there was loads of little signs like it was almost meant to be. Like what? Like, like I don't like almost the house was calling to them. I don't know. It's just so strange. So, for example, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they were drawn to it. Yeah, I don't think it's the kind of house that would say cooey. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, and this is before they'd even heard of the house. Roger brought home a puppy for the family, and of course, everyone instantly fell in love with it. Who couldn't love a puppy? Everybody loves puppies. Yeah. So Carolyn held it close to her and closed her eyes and she said, oh, this dog is special and it deserves a really special name. So we're going to call it Bathsheba. What do they call it? Bathsheba. Bathsheba? (laughs) Exactly. How fucking random is that name, yeah? Completely random name. Who's heard of Bathsheba? It doesn't even sound like a name. Bathsheba. So this will become relevant later in the story. Okay. You watched the film, right, Tash? Oh, apparently not. Bathsheba is in the film. Oh. I feel like I've erased a film from my memory. It was so scary. We were too busy shitting ourselves. I know how the house called to them. It just lifted up a big hand for a high five. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking weird. Tell me. <laughs> so carolyn picks up a paper and once all her kids were in bed and she was enjoying some quiet time uh, sorry what's quiet time when well you know when the kids are in bed asleep were all her children in bed at the same time and asleep all five I mean, does she want to come and be my nanny? Because I have to bribe my children every night. (laughs) (laughs) So Roger was away on business a lot. Now, I found conflicting stories on what his job actually was. Some say he was a lorry driver and something said something else. So I don't want to say anything wrong, but he was away a lot on business. So yeah. while she's just chilling with her coffee, kids are in bed, she saw she sees the ad for the Arnold estate and she said it just jumped out the page at her. And she was so not like literally, Becky <laughs> before you say anything. I can see with those... his hand like ready for a high wow. five. Yeah. I'm not gonna keep laughing at the same joke. It'd just get tiresome. <laughs> so the ad literally jumps out at her and she's so like intrigued and interested in it that she actually called the estate agent there and then at 10 o'clock at night oh i mean rude rude yeah but also shows how like compelled she was yeah yeah so she rang at 10 o'clock at night to ask to come and see the house and a meeting was arranged and carolyn visited the house and instantly fell in love with it so she bought it she used up every single penny they had for the deposit, only leaving enough in, the, in their bank account for bread and milk. Without consulting Roger or anyone, she just did it. No, oh my she God. didn't. As if you do that. 
Yeah, she she just was compelled to buy this 200-acre beautiful farmhouse. I mean, the farmhouse is huge. It's got something like 14 rooms. It's ginormous. It's got all this land. There's a stream. It's really beautiful. And yeah, she just bought it outright. So of course, when Roger found out, he was less than impressed. Well, yeah. I don't blame Roger for being annoyed, to be honest. Well, no, I'd be a bit annoyed if my husband bought a house without telling me. I mean, I don't have a husband and I'm pissed off at him anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Did she go and see it or was it just from the pictures? No, she went to see it. Yeah, okay. She went to see it and bought it outright. So Roger right. finds this out. He's not happy and he says, how do we get the check back? Because yeah. he was like, we're not doing this. No, fair play to Roger. What year was this? This was in the 70s. Oh, what's up? I mean, she wasn't a good housewife. Who does she think she was having her own ideas then? Well, the point is, she was completely like she had yeah. to do it. How cheap were houses back then that you could just bang over a check and buy a house? It was the deposit. She didn't just oh, buy it outright. Okay. Yeah. Carolyn convinced him to at least come and look. So he did. And the entire family loved it. So it was decided they were buying it. So they became the owners of the Arnold estate. The sale went through around Christmas in 1970. But Carolyn didn't want to move over Christmas. So they waited for January 1971. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there they would stay for the next 10 years. They moved out finally in 1980. Yeah, so they lived there for a good 10 years. I mean, didn't get that from the film, but fine. Yeah. No, but this is why I'm saying the film is loosely based on the true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just before moving, sadly, their little dog Bathsheba got away into the road and got run over and killed. Bloody hell. Stark. But the family got another dog quite soon after. So they did have a dog when they moved to the farmhouse. Okay. The paranormal activity started immediately. And I mean, literally within minutes of the family bringing in their boxes. Bloody hell. The old man who was selling to them was there collecting a few last bits from the house. Apparently it was chaos. He was moving stuff out. They were moving stuff in. There were loads of people everywhere. I know. Yeah. And, you know, it's a family of seven. So it's going to be a lot of boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So the old man who was selling to them was just there collecting the last few bits. He didn't want to go. He loved the house. He was he was sad to go. And he got on really well with the Perones. So, you know, the fact that he was still there is it, it, it's not weird. They had a friendship going kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And three and four of the girl three or four of the girls all saw him, but he was not alone. He was with another man. He looked just like a person, so much so that Andrea, the eldest, even said, Good morning, sir, as she walked past him. He did not respond, as he was completely transfixed on Mr. Kenyon. Andrea went into the kitchen to ask her mother, Who's that other man with Mr. Kenyon? And her mother replied, There isn't another man with Mr. Kenyon. Oh, my God. Then the other girls also asked their mother, Who's that man with Mr. Kenyon? And perplexed, Carolyn answers, There isn't anybody else with Mr. Kenyon. Then one of the younger sisters whispered to the eldest, You know that man? I just saw him vanish. You can react. It's okay. No, but I can't react because... 
Oh, scary. I just don't understand how shit like this happens and people continue to live there for 10 years, okay? <laughs> hey, if my kids started talking about stuff like that, I think I'd really, I'd move out. So, I'd, go, I'd go mental. The thing it, is with this house is I'm going to be telling, obviously it's my side of the podcast, so I'm going to be telling you this scary conjuring house story. But you've also got to remember that this family loved that house and it wasn't all yeah. t- horrible, horrific, nasty things. And, you know, they had some really good times there and they yeah. were they were attached to it. And even when it came to selling it, half of them, half of the girls didn't want to move out. So oh, really? the, the eldest has actually written a book called House of Darkness, House of Light, because that's what it was. On the one side, there was something not right and evil and terrifying. And on the other hand, there's something lovely and beautiful and, you know, yeah. nice. So yeah. that's that's why they lasted the 10 years they did. And also, apparently in 1970, America was in a very bad um, economical state. And, you know, they had just bought this property and the idea of selling it again and buying somewhere else was just ridiculous. It, you know, I mean, it, that just isn't as simple as, as I'm saying, is it? No, you know, it just not wasn't. Not many people are in that position anyway, even now, where they can just do that, you know. I do think to begin with, they probably thought, fuck this, let's move out. But yeah, it just wasn't feasible at the time. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. At some point during the first day, the old man pulled Roger aside and said, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. Now, somebody says that to me. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not something you want to hear. But Roger literally just took it as it's a big house. There's one toilet. It's on the bottom floor. You've got five young girls. Just leave the light on so they don't fall down the stairs. Yeah. And that's how he took it. He didn't think anything of it. I'd still ask. I'd be like, uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah. (laughs) And then wait for an explanation. And then he'd be like, oh, because of the toilet. Or actually, there's 20 ghosts living there. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's what was said. And Roger didn't press him any further. But obviously, there was a completely different meaning to his warning. It wasn't just so the girls didn't fall down the stairs at night. He would actually come to visit the family quite often as he he loved the farmhouse and the family. And they all got on really well. So he, you know, he visited when he could. That's sweet. And, And one day, Carolyn, who had begun at this point experiencing some weird stuff, asked him, about the strange noises she was hearing at night, and the old man simply winked and said, Swallows in the chimney, my dear. Swallows in the chimney. And the way he said it was obvious that he knew it wasn't, but he did just was not going to acknowledge anything else about it. Yeah, that was easier for him to believe, probably. Yeah. The surrounding neighbours told the Perones that they had never seen that house with the old, when the old man lived there without every single light on at night. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Every single one? He left that, yeah, Mr. Kenyon left every single light on in the house all the time at night. His bills must have been high. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't do that now, would you? <laughs> Fucking wouldn't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It also needs to be noted that the Perone's family pets did not want 
anything to do with the house. It said pets, so I assume they had multiple cats, dogs. I don't know. I do know they had a dog. But they literally yeah. had to be dragged into the house. They did not want want to come in the house at all. Oh, bless them. And sadly, shortly after this, their new dog also died. The odd thing is that the family never divulged this information to the people making the film, and yet in one of the scenes, the family dog is found dead. I was going to say. Yeah. It was a bit of a coincidence. Yeah. There's also different things that pop up in the movie that the producers had not been told, like the white cat picture in Andrea's room. She did, in fact, have that exact same picture in her room. And the wind it is. And the wind chimes. Do you remember the scene in the movie where the little girl goes and puts the wind chimes out on the porch? Yeah. So that was never mentioned either. And yet they had the exact same wind chimes on their porch. That's so weird. Just to, you know, clarify, the the movie was not filmed at the house, it was filmed at a movie set. At a set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just really bizarre coincidences. So the next occurrence that chilled me to the core was one night. (laughs) Are you okay, Tash? Yeah, I'm biting my nails and it's coming up on the audio, so I've stopped. Becky, I really hope that your one's cheery. (laughs) Yeah. We always expect a cheery murder story. <laughs> it's not as bad as some, you know. It's it's really it's a little crazy and it's interest it's interesting. It's a good one. Okay. Okay. So one night Cindy crept into Andrea's bed saying she was frightened. Andrea asked her, Why what's going on? Why are you frightened? And she replied, I can hear voices in my room, lots of them, and they're all speaking all at once, but they're all saying the same thing over and over and over again. That's just horrible. Oh, that's awful. Do you, know, do you want to know what they were saying? No, I don't want to know what they're saying. They were saying, there are seven dead soldiers in the walls. There are seven dead soldiers in the oh walls. Oh, my God. There are right, seven dead enough. soldiers in the walls. Fuck's sake. What weird thing to fucking say. <laughs> <sighs> oh, that's honestly, my back is... Has done a little woof. Yeah. Spine chilled. Spine has what? been chilled. That's what I'm here for. I don't know why I'm here for it because it fucking terrifies me. It's not even like I, I actually like. Why did we come up with this as a theme? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, are we not interesting enough? <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. So the house was always freezing and no matter how much heating that they put on, it was always cold. I mean, it's a colonial house, so I can't imagine it was like fully... It's a big house and I mean, I don't think the walls were insulated correctly. Well, <laughs> apart from with all those dead soldiers, no. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it's probably what they were trying to do, just insulate the house with what they had. The chimneys had all been blocked off by doors, creating a kind of uh, closet space. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's not even like they could light a fire or anything. It was just freezing. And the furnace was down in the cellar, and the cellar was creepy as hell. And the furnace, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the furnace, but it just kept breaking all the time, making people go down into the creepy as hell cellar. Cellars are just creepy full stop, aren't they? They are full stop, yeah. I mean, I'm actually questioning the fact that we're building... A, a renovation at the minute and we've put all our bedrooms technically in the basement 
Yeah, but it's not the basement any longer if your bedrooms are in it, so that's fine. Yeah, but it was. And also, it is that like basement. one of those pavillon houses in France? Yeah. yeah. So actually, it's just the garage, not a basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's not below it. the floor, it's floor level, isn't it? It's still underground a bit. Is it got windows in it. No, we're just going to live like mole people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's going to become really pale and frail and hiss at people as they walk by. (laughs) So nothing changes. <laughs> no, pretty much the same. Pretty of course, it's same. got fucking windows. <laughs> it's not a basement then. Basements don't really have windows, do they? No, it did have some tiny ones, but now it's got nice big ones. Yeah, lovely. It's not scary. No, no it it's won't be. nice. Are you going to have an upside down house? Yeah, yeah, it's an upside down house. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it just made sense because it, the, uh, the upstairs is so light and beautiful. The views are gorgeous, and it just seemed a waste to waste it on bedrooms oh exciting so yeah upside down house that's fun in the basement upside down <laughs> why it's you turn me inside inside out it, oh that's a bit gross actually yeah give me a high five <laughs> <laughs> I really need to start thinking before I talk <laughs> 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 anyway, do continue. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can't get past the soldiers in the walls. That was horrible. There are said seven dead soldiers no, in the walls. Stop saying you it. You said it once now. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> Think of all the people you can high five, though. <laughs> so for fuck's sake, we're never going to get away from the high five through this yeah, entire episode. Yeah, you're going to have to leave, it, leave all that shit in from the beginning <laughs> to get the high five. <laughs> Yeah, it does. I'll it literally means that. I've got to leave sex high-fiving in. No, but please don't! <laughs> but I've got to, because we keep referencing it. Yeah, but my mum listens to me. Your mum, you've had two oh, children, she knows you have sex. She does not! <laughs> she doesn't know about the high-fiving, she does now. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> you do it to yourself. I know. But it's comedy gold. It is. So. Well, I think it is. Right, more story, story, story. You, are you ready for it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, as I was saying, the chimneys had all been blocked off by doors that, that you could open and stuff, but it and they were kind of turned into closet spaces because it left enough room to hang a few clothes and stuff in. Well, fun fact about... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. I know that in America, a bedroom is not a bedroom unless it has a closet in. So you know, like when they're selling houses, unless it's got storage in the room, they're not allowed to call it a bedroom. It's just an office. Well, yeah, I suppose office. So, yeah. A office. <laughs> yeah. Home office. Wow, that was a fun fact. Thanks for that, Tash. <laughs> You know, if you're a, if you're I a really feel like that enhanced my story. <laughs> Is she? Yeah, I thought you were silent, laughing. I couldn't tell if you'd just gone silent or if it was one of those silent mutleys. So, whilst all the older girls went off to school every day, the youngest, April, was left home alone with her mum. So, poor little April. All her big sisters go off to school every day and she's left home alone with her mum. So April starts to play in one of these closets. 
she'd take all her little toys um, in there and her mum would hear her chatting away to someone else. But of course, for a little girl who's playing, you you know, you just assume they're using their imagination. Yeah. But it was only years later that April actually admitted that she'd made friends with the spirit of a little boy called Oliver, who had pale eyes that always looked wet from crying. She said when he was playing, he would pick up the toys and look at them in wonder. Like, he couldn't believe, like, what modern day... Well, it was in the 70s, but, like, for him, it would have been modern stuff looked like. And when eventually the Warrens come into this story, because, as you know, if you've seen The Conjuring, this is a Warren story, and eventually they are going to show up. So, but when they did interview all the kids, April never told them about him because she was so afraid that they would they would make him go away. Oh, bless her. So she, yeah, you know, she really felt a lot of affection for this little boy. And she he... probably just thought it was an imaginary friend, didn't she? Though, like kids do, don't they? She just didn't think anything of it that this little boy appeared and started playing with her. She was happy as Larry. She thought she got a little mate. Oh. Yeah. So bless her. So, as you've gathered, the famous Warrens were involved in this story, but not quite as the movie depicted. In fact, not at all. The way they got involved is weird, to say the least. One day, two paranormal investigators showed up at the house after apparently receiving a phone call from Carolyn. She never made that call. Not what, No one in the Perone family ever made that call. So, so who did? Nobody knows. But somebody called these guys and told them to go to the house. So they go and they they realise pretty quickly that something is seriously wrong. And they are actually the ones that got in touch with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, for anyone who doesn't know, are very famous paranormal investigators. I think they were mostly famous around the 70s and 80s. And, well, you either believe everything that they say or you don't. I think it was all a bit hyped up personally, but apparently Lorraine was like a clairvoyant and Ed was a, a demonologist, whatever that means, like a professional demon hunter. I don't know. Uh, so it was actually the paranormal investigators that got in touch with the Warrens who were doing tours at the time and just so happened to be in the area. So when they arrived at the Perone house, Carolyn let them in. She had no idea who they were, but as it was freezing cold outside and she was a nice lady, she let them in. That's weird. What? <laughs> what, it's really cold coming in my house? Well, yeah. What do you think? I mean, they knocked on the door like, you know, we've heard your house is, you know, you're having some troubles in your house. Do you mind if we come in and have a look? And as it was really cold outside, she was like, yeah, sure, come in and I'll make some tea. I don't know. She was a nice lady. Oh, I definitely that's. She was a nice lady, Tash. Okay, (laughs) nice lady. (laughs) I mean, no, go her. She's a nice lady. I'm unreasonable. I'm so sorry. You're not unreasonable, sweetheart. But in back in the seventies, it wasn't as iffy as it is in 2022. Well, Becky's stories would tell us differently. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. That is true. Anyway. So as soon as the Warrens walked in the house, Lorraine picked up on an evil spirit in the house and she said her name was Bathsheba. (gasps) Like the dog. Like the dog. And that's the full circle and here we end the story. Thank you very much. (laughs) They were lying about the soldiers in the walls. Bye. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Bathsheba was indeed a real person who had lived some hundred years previously in a house about a mile away. Right, you'll have to bear with me because there are so many details of this story that change depending, you know, on who's telling the story. I've tried my best to get it right, to tell it as truthfully as possible, okay? Yeah. But if it's not quite what you thought or what you've heard, I do apologise because, yeah, there are so many conflicting accounts, it's very difficult to know what is right and what's not. So Bathsheba was indeed a real person who had lived some hundred years previously in a house about a mile away. She was, by all accounts, quite an unpleasant lady. But after you hear her story, you might understand why. Whilst on the Arnold estate, a baby died in her care. She was accused of killing the baby and sacrificing it to the devil and accused of being a witch. As a large sewing needle was found at the bottom of the baby's skull, which had caused him to convulse and die. Well, understandably, yeah. (laughs) The case was dismissed as no proof of wrongdoing was ever found, but of course the community were not so kind. And she was branded... He's got no proof of wrongdoing and he's got a a needle in his... Yeah, but they they didn't have DNA and stuff like that like we... Well, they obviously had DNA, but they didn't have DNA testing. And I imagine it means they've got they've got stuff. no proof as that to, it was her that it yeah. was her and how long the needle had been there and you know and whether it was done on purpose or what. Yeah. So I mean, it probably was done on purpose, but even though the case was dismissed, so it didn't even go to court. There was that much lack of proof of anything. It it, it was just dismissed. She didn't do it. Um, but the community was not so kind and she was branded a witch and a murderer. She she had four children in total, but three died before their fourth birthday, which caused people to presume that she had also murdered them. Knowing all this, I can kind of understand why she would be someone that would be quite unpleasant. Unlike in the movie, Bathsheba did not kill herself by hanging. She died as an old lady of a stroke. Now, people said that when she died, she actually turned to stone. Oh. Which... Not really right. a thing. <laughs> probably didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Do you think? <laughs> but it is said that she turned into stone as... Be- hey, but we weren't there. We weren't so there. We did. weren't there. <laughs> do, do you think it was in like a pose, like on Hocus Pocus, <laughs> where they go, or book? No? Pro- I don't know. <laughs> I think if you're going to st- turn to stone, you might as well strike a pose. Yeah, I'd want a funny pose. <laughs> they said she died of paralysis, which back then, you know, they wouldn't have known what a stroke was. So... I'd lift up my hand was into the high five position <laughs> and get high fives forever. Guys, I'm looking for some new co-hosts. If anybody's interested in doing a podcast with me, just drop me a message. I honestly don't think that happened. And the other point is she's buried, actually not that far away from the Arnold estate, and she's buried buried in a proper like religious cemetery, which if she really was a witch and people thought they wouldn't have allowed that they wouldn't have allowed her into a religious cemetery she would have been burnt at the stake well thrown off a cliff or you know 
she wouldn't spring off a cliff is that what they did well they didn't bury the bodies in cemeteries well true that yeah so uh yeah Mm. yeah it's all sounding a bit suspicious to me and apparently she wasn't like she was quite harsh with the people that worked for her like she'd starve them and uh just treat them really badly and she was just a nasty lady this is the first evil spirit that lorraine uh, warren picked up on bathsheba so but what was her what was her link to the house was the house the child that she looked after in the house uh, i'm not sure because some some people said that she actually lived in the house now i can't find e- any evidence of her living in the house or why she would live in the house because it was eight generations of the same family right the arnolds yeah and bathsheba was actually married to somebody whose last name was sherman so she was bathsheba sherman so, yeah, so she was called Beth Sheba Sherman and she, I think, actually lived on a property that was about a mile away. So how her spirit ended up... Apparently when she died, she cursed, you know, anybody who would ever live on her land. So whether... Well, maybe if um, if the house was a portal of some sort, maybe that would explain why she was there. Maybe she was drawn to it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So there were many people, however, who have hanged themselves on or near the property. Now, to be perfectly honest, as much as I've researched, it's impossible to know 100% the facts. I do know a Mrs. John Arnold hung herself. Now, it is said that this was either in one of the rooms of the house or from a beam in the barn. Her husband, John, also took his own life by drinking poison, but if he died in the Arnold estate remains dubious. There are also accounts of people freezing to death. I found two true accounts. So an Edwin Arnold died of exposure in 1903, walking home. He took a shortcut, sat down for a rest and then just never woke up. And he was missing for seven weeks until a hunter found his body. Jesus. And then two years previously, a man called Jarvis Smith was found in a shed on the property. He was apparently blind drunk and had fallen asleep. And again, he never woke up. And the interesting thing about Jarvis Smith was he was he'd actually been on trial for murder. Oh, but he'd been proven not guilty. So but he might have not been a very nice man either. You know, just trying to. Well, there's quite often no smoke without fire, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. This is sad, so trigger warning, okay? Kids, murder, trigger warning. So there's also Prudence Arnold, who was murdered in 1840 by a man called William E. Knowlton, who raped her, although this remains undecided, and slit her throat. And apparently he slit her throat so badly that it nearly decapitated her. She was 11 when he did this to her and he did it because apparently she refused to marry him. Oh, well, that seems reasonable. Mm, So it was all done out of love and jealousy. Disgusting. This is assumed to have happened on the estate, but Prudence was actually an orphan. Both her parents had died uh, uh, while she was quite young. So she was, in fact, murdered nine miles away from the Arnold estate near her foster home. So nothing says, though, that her spirit did not return to the estate after her tragic death. Yeah. 
the little boy, Oliver, supposedly hung himself in the house and a little girl is said to have drowned in a stream near the house. But again, I can't find any records of their deaths. So there's quite a lot of sad and... There's just lots of deaths surrounding their house, like whether it was at the house or... And not really happy happy deaths. Yeah. Not you know not not that any death is happy, but not like no, but peaceful. It's like old Mrs. Giles fell asleep, like, and she was eighty, like. Yeah. Although there was the Mrs. John uh, Arnold who hung herself. I'm. I think, if I remember rightly, she was in her nineties. So. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't know why she would kill herself at, at ninety. You'd think you'd just let things take their own course. So, back to the hauntings. Bless her. Because that's what we're all here for, right? Yes. (laughs) Can we get a bit more... I'm here for. Yeah, you're (laughs) loving this, aren't you, Tash? I tell you, I find it really enjoyable. Thank you. (laughs) So, to begin with, it started with small things. There was a sweeping spirit who would move the broom around and when no one was watching, would sweep the floors. I mean, absolutely fucking Move into my house. Mopping as well. So often Carolyn would go and sweep the floor and she couldn't find the broom and she'd go and check where it usually is and it wasn't there. And she'd be like, where's my broom gone? And then it would just turn up again after she'd cleaned and there'd be a little pile of dirt next to it. And they'd be like, you missed this, bitch. <laughs> At least they were actually sweeping though because it would have been annoying if they were Yeah, if they tipped the pan out. That would annoying. Yeah. Apparently, she would hear quite often the kettle, uh, you know, those kettles that whistle when they boil. Yeah. So apparently, she'd she'd hear that loads, even though the kettle wasn't boiling at all. That You know, nobody had put the oh. kettle on. She'd hear it whistling. Yeah. And she'd also hear, like, some kind of weird metal scraping sound coming from the kitchen, like a knife being dragged against something. The family were all kept awake at night by the voice of a little girl crying and sobbing. And calling oh, out for her mama. creepy, isn't it? Oh, it was heartbreaking yes, to them all as they had no idea how to help this lost child. And in the interviews I watched when they were talking about it, you could see how emotional they were. Because all, like, all they could hear every night was this little girl going, Mama! 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 I mean, it, it must have been... That's quite harrowing. It's yeah. heartbreaking. Like- yeah. At the age of eight years old, Cindy says her bed started moving. To begin with, it was just a small jolt and then a shake. And then it just lifted up off the floor completely and flew all over the room. She climbed up to the headboard and grabbed on and prayed as hard as she could. Please, God, make this stop. Please, God, please, God, just make this stop now. And then eventually it did stop, but she stayed on the bed afterwards, terrified of getting out of bed in case something was under under the bed waiting to grab her, because yeah, that's how it... would, wouldn't you? Yeah, it made her feel like something was just waiting for her. So she waited for a good amount of time before building up the courage to go downstairs and tell her mum what had happened. Now, this bed moving would become common for the Perones, so much so that in a morning they would just put their beds back against the wall as if nothing had happened. Okay. Yeah, they got so used to it that it was just like, oh, my bed's in the middle of the room. Let's just put that back. There was also an evil male spirit in the house, and I can't find much detail about it because the family refused to talk about it. 
All that was said is that he was a very evil male in a house with five young girls. Mm, that's horrible. That makes my skin grow. So, yeah. you, I mean, you can only imagine. During the next few years, Carolyn's health began to decline. She lost a lot of weight. She started having constant pain and by all accounts lived off coffee and cigarettes. This once stunningly beautiful woman was now skin and bone and she looked quite different and she even began to speak differently using old time words and her voice became much higher. That's weird, isn't it? And apparently she even began like going to all charity shops and stuff and picking up vintage clothing and wearing like really old fashioned clothes. Did anyone query that at the time though? Well, everybody noticed that she was changing but i don't think i don't think it was ever kind of brought up because it was still like her it's not like she was possessed or anything but yeah she seemed to be the focus on whatever evil presence was in that house one evening as she was sat reading she felt a terrible pain in the back of her leg and blood started pouring down her calf She had a puncture wound as if she had been stabbed by a thick sewing needle. Much like the baby, right? Yeah. One day she was taking a shower and a friend popped over. So she'd made friends with one of the neighbouring families. I think she might have been called Fran, if I remember correctly from the interviews. Anyway, Fran, they'd made friends because Fran also had like five boys. Yeah. So they had five girls, she had five boys, their kids had met on the school bus and made friends, and then, you know, they the, the mums had just become friends. Yeah. So Fran pops over to the to the house one day with a cake. And Carolyn was upstairs having a shower, so Andrea says, oh, I'll just go and tell my mum that you're here. So she rushes upstairs and she says, oh, mum, Fran's here with a cake. And her mum says, right, well, I'll be two minutes and I'll I'll come down. So she gets out of the shower and she goes into like this closet room thing to get dry and get dressed. Yeah. Andrew comes back downstairs and puts um, the kettle on to make some coffee. And the next thing, all the girls and Fran hear this blood curdling scream coming from where Carolyn is upstairs. And they all rush up and they can just see her completely naked beaten black and blue and bleeding by a coat hanger by a wooden coat hanger that was levitating in the air and when they all got there they saw it levitate and then just drop to the floor oh my god that's creepy her friend never stepped foot in that house again ever i can imagine carolyn could visit her no problem at all but fran was like Fuck that. Nope. Yeah. No way. The worst bit about this story is that when Roger was told about it, he just completely dismissed it like she was being ridiculous and it never happened. What dick? Well, did you not see the bruises on her? Yeah. And what? Yeah, but how did he explain that? I think he felt like he'd moved his family into a dangerous haunted house and he didn't want to admit it. Yeah, I mean, understandable. So well, isn't he, he away for most of the week and stuff? Is he yeah. still in the same job? Yeah, yeah. He's Is he not away just thinking, oh, the they're scaring themselves because they're by themselves? Possibly. I mean, As I don't well. know. But I know that it was a cause of conflict because he, yeah, he just didn't believe her at all. 
The worst was yet to come for Carolyn, sadly. One night, she was awoken to the stench of rotten flesh. Now, this is a smell that occasionally the children or Roger or Carolyn would pick up on the stench of rotting flesh. And I don't know if you remember from the Smurl family haunting that that tends to be a really bad sign. Yeah. So she wakes up to this stench of rotten flesh in her room and next to her bed she she sees who they assume to be Bathsheba. She was dressed in a brown ripped up dress and scraggly hair and had a face, right, and this is exactly how she was described every time I've, t- like, heard it spoken about. She had a face like a broken hornet's nest. Oh. So, oh. whatever the fuck that means. Like, full of holes? It's like, rotten, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Her head hung to one side as if her neck had been snapped. So this is what make, makes me question if it was Bathsheba or not. I'll get back to that in a minute. Carolyn tried to scream, but her husband Roger could not wake up. She grabbed him by the hair, pushed him, punched him, and he simply would not wake up. And then she saw he, his back was covered in large scratches, and she was sure in that moment that he was dead. The entity floated closer and closer to Carolyn and said to her, the next time we meet, thine too shall be dead. And vanished. Roger woke up pretty much immediately after she was gone. As if this wasn't terrifying enough, the eldest daughter, daughter, Andrea, had witnessed the whole thing, but without being in the room, she saw it all happen from above in her head. Like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, like out-of-body experience. She told her mother that she had seen the whole thing, but her mother would not speak of it. Roger, at this point, would get angry because he felt so out of control. He made out that everything was fine, even though it definitely was not. So the Warrens. Back to the Warrens. The Warrens said they have never felt such a disturbing place in all their years of investigating the paranormal and were really trying to help the Perones. However, they only made things worse. After a year or so of coming over to investigate it, they conducted a seance. So they came over with a priest and a psychic medium, another psychic medium. And they conducted a seance with Roger and Carolyn. And... The eldest, Andrea, and another one of the girls, I can't remember her name, were kind of watching. So they were around, but not actually at the table. So this seance opened a door to something much worse than Bathsheba, something not of this world. And it it attacked Carolyn with such force that the people who witnessed it were sure it had killed her. She became possessed very quickly and started speaking in otherworldly language. Her body was twisted in such an unnatural way, it's amazing her bones did not break. She was like all scrunched up into a ball. Her chair then lifted off the floor and Carolyn was thrown 20 feet across the room. Everyone there heard her skull hit the floor and was sure she was dead. Andrea, the eldest daughter, said in that moment she was sure she had just witnessed the death of her mother. That's awful. So she did eventually come round and was back to her normal self, but for the, for Roger, this was the last straw, who threw the Warrens out of his house, claiming they had gotten his wife nearly killed. Their relationship did not end on good terms. 
Now he has to admit that there's something wrong as well. A hundred percent, but it's not like the film. The Warrens did not move in and they did not help and make everything better and go away. They made things a hundred percent worse. Yeah. So a few months later, the Warrens actually were so worried about Carolyn's safety that they came back to the house to check that she'd not died or been killed. This time, she didn't let them in. She simply requested if they had come to return her notebook as... When they first started investigating, Carolyn had given the, her notebook over to them. where And it was like a log which she'd written down every weird thing, any paranormal activity. She'd done sketches of the spirits that her or the kids had seen. So like all the information of the haunting was in this notebook. Yeah. And she wanted it back, which is fair enough. It was hers. Yeah. So when the Warrens came back, she said, have you come to give me back the notebook? They didn't. And it, and they never returned it. They never gave it back to her. I mean, rude. Yeah. 100% rude. And apparently this has now been sold on with the Warren collection of stuff, you know, mm. and that her family's never going to get that back, even though, like, it's a huge part of their kind of family history. Yeah. And they were just like, yoink, yoink. Nope. Mm-hmm. The final spooky phenomenon I will tell you tonight is one night Carolyn was stood near the fireplace, only suddenly to hear voices. She turned around and she saw an entire family sat round a table that was not theirs, getting ready to eat. She saw a woman cooking on a stove and calling the children to come to the table. There were two men at the table. One made eye contact with Carolyn and nudged the man next to him and pointed at her. To them, you see, she was the ghost. Mm. So again, it's like, uh, well, it's like we were saying for the Chateau de Fougere, isn't it? Yeah, last week, yeah. Uh, Or that film with Nicole Kidman, The Others. The Others, yeah. It's like, is it different timelines? Is it different realities that are overlapping? What the fuck's going on? Yeah, strange, isn't it? It's very odd. It is very odd. In 1980, Carolyn said to Roger that they had to sell the house as she feared she would not survive another winter there. The family were torn, as even though they had lived through some horrific things, they still loved the house and the 200 acres it offered. So half wanted out and the other half wanted to stay, but even so they put it up for sale and it was bought by a lady who lived there until 2019. I am not sure... About how accurate that was. I think, in fact, they put the house up for sale and it was bought by the neighbours and the neighbours wanted to do some work in it and they sent the builders in and apparently the builders left the house screaming, left all their tools there, never came back for their tools and as far as I can tell, that was that the house was put back up for sale. And then it was bought by another lady called Mrs. Sutcliffe, who lived there until 2019. Okay. So Nancy, one of the daughters of the Perone family, wanted to stay at the house and was actually employed as a caretaker and stayed there when the Perones moved out. Okay. So that the story doesn't line up. I'm not... I don't know what happened. 
I don't know if the neighbors moved in, the builders just got scared and ran away, but the neighbors lived there. I, d- I don't know. But Nancy definitely stayed on as a caretaker. And as the Perone family were driving away and waving their goodbyes as they did not know when they would see each other again, they saw the entity of a female ghost stood right behind Nancy. And at this point, Mrs. Perone apparently said, I don't, you know, I don't feel good about this. I I wish she would, like, not stay. So the Perones bought a new farm, expecting there to be no ghosts because it was like, I don't know, 20 years old or something. So pretty safe. Yeah. So one day, some of the kids and their dad had gone to the new house to get the boxes unpacked, etc., whilst Carolyn and the other girls went to do some errands. And then when they returned, one of the girls was stood in the front in the front of the house, waving, and the exact same spirit who stood right behind Nancy was right behind her. It was then that Carolyn said, it's not over. It'll never be over. So some of the spirits followed the Perone family from the house. Yeah, well, they, they say that on so the it's film. them that was haunted rather than the, yeah. rather than the, the building. Bit of both. A bit of both, because if you remember, Mr. Kenyon, who lived them, there before, blatantly knew it was haunted. Yeah, and he yeah, had a different yeah, yeah. spirit following, following him around, didn't he? The guy from the beginning. Yes, whether that whether that spirit was still there when the Perone family was there, I don't know. Funnily enough, Mr. and Mrs. Sutcliffe, who lived there uh, from until 2019, they actually sued Warner Bros. after the film came out, The Conjuring, because oh. it caused such chaos to them, because all of a sudden their house was being very famously made uh you know this haunted house and people were trespassing on their property people were actually coming inside their house well that's not got much to do with the film that's people being dicks well people are dicks but they they sued and i think it all got settled out of court which you know good for them fair enough they got a big chunk of money yeah but before they sued, they had experienced some paranormal activity. They did say they could hear dolls banging at night. They could hear the chairs moving, you know, just general. It wasn't to the extent of the Perones, but they could definitely, you know, feel that there was something in the house. But as soon as the film came out and they started getting aggro from it, uh, Mrs. Sutcliffe made a video saying it was all a lie that nothing had ever happened in that house, that it wasn't haunted. And, you know, I understand why. I understand why she would do that. So she lived there until 2019, and then she actually sold. But they sold to a family who, to begin with, didn't know it was haunted. But once they found out, it didn't actually matter, because as it turned out, they were paranormal investigators. On jackpot. So, yeah. Exactly. So they they were fine living there and they actually did like paranormal tours and stuff like that, kind of turned it into a business and whatnot. Fun, well done them. And they they said again, they experienced paranormal activity like lights coming on in rooms that didn't even have lights on and you know, seeing ghosts and other stuff. But they've now put the house back up for sale. So it's up for sale at the minute, I think. Um, for a million and a half dollars. 
So uh, should we go three-way and buy that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pass. Let's not pass. tell the husbands <laughs> that we're buying it. <laughs> yeah. So a few weeks later, after the family had moved, Lorraine Warren contacted Carolyn again. Now, they've no idea how Lorraine Warren find, found out where they'd moved to or whatnot, but she did, and she contacted them again saying, we have to make a book, a movie, or something to tell your story. Um, and they, and she offered like life-changing amounts of money. Carolyn said no straight away, but Lorraine said, at least talk it over with Roger and then make a decision. So that night, Roger took the girls out for food and Carolyn stayed at home feeling tired. She was just doing some laundry down in the basement casually, as you do, when the huge wooden door that was bolted to the wall flew at her, hitting her and injuring her badly. I think it broke her collarbone and her arm. She called Lorraine the next day and said, I don't need to talk to Roger. The answer remains no and please never contact me again. All right. Because well, yes, because she felt that she'd been attacked because she talked about making it into a book or a movie with um Lorraine. Oh, right, yeah, okay. They just the ghosts didn't like Lorraine, did they? No, 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 they did not. But yeah, so when I say they did not have a good relationship, it's they did not like the Warrens. Yeah. yeah. Did they tell them that though? Did they tell them what happened? I don't know. Well, no, because it was like, just no and never contact me again. I don't think she mentioned it. I think the mum was so traumatised. I've seen a few videos of her. She's so traumatised and so terrified of, like, waking something up again that she just does not want to talk about it. Yeah, okay. So until their deaths, the the Warrens continued to say that the Perone haunting was the worst and most disturbing case that they had ever dealt with. And that's why it was in the first in the series of The Conjuring films. And that is the true story of The Conjuring House. Woo! Or as true as I could make it, anyway. Yeah. It did make me feel uncomfortable throughout the whole thing, though. That's why I was yeah. not speaking much. Because I was just like, oh. that was really good, though. Well done. It was nice to see the difference between the movie and the, and the real-life story. Well, that's why I wanted you guys to watch it, so you had something to compare it to. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to say, right, this is a different theory. So everybody thinks that Bathsheba, right, is a big baddie in the in the haunting. Yeah. But the fact that she'd appeared, because she appeared to one of the children as well, I think it might have been Cindy that she appeared to, with her head hanging, you know, from her neck as if her neck was broken. Do you remember me saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Bathsheba didn't hang herself, so she didn't have a broken neck, so there'd be no reason for her head to be hanging like that. But the person who did hang herself was Mrs. John Arnold. Perhaps it was her. So perhaps the really evil spirit wasn't Bathsheba at all. It was, in fact, Mrs. John Arnold. And when she showed herself to one of the little girls, she was like... Come here, little girl. Come to me. Come to me, child. Which is horrible. That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. So, yeah, that's another theory. And the very sad thing about the story is that people, idiots, after watching The Conjuring, have now completely defaced, broken Bathsheba Sherman's headstone to an extent that now they've had to put a fence around it to protect it. What is wrong with people? 
People are knobs, I tell you. And I'll tell you something else. If there was an ounce of truth to that story, (laughs) I would definitely definitely not be pissing her off by doing that to her gravestone. Some people are weird, though. They either don't care or they're just almost like a death groupie and they're just like, oh, yeah, haunt me, baby. Ah, People are weird. What, weirder than you? Weird in a weird, like, weird way. I'm weird in a weird, happy way. You literally had to pause a film, rewind it, because you were thinking about how weird clapping is. <laughs> See? Happy weird. <laughs> You're very strange. <laughs> but that's why we love you. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was very fun in a Thanks, scary, um, horrific we way. Love your scary stories. <laughs> so scary. You're welcome. I'll try and do something that's not so ghostly terrifying. Oh, I feel like this is the point of the podcast. Yeah. I just need to man the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because we had more of a vision by watching the film as well. Yeah. We still have to watch that one about the smell haunting, haven't we, that's on YouTube? Oh, yeah, I still haven't watched well, there's that. There's a whole film. Yeah. This week... I um I found a story that was a little bit different to 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 the to the usual ones that I do, but yeah, it's still murder. So hopefully this won't freak you out too much, Emma, because it is a recent one. I know that you oh, don't really no. like the recent ones too much. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Well, this this uh, story revolves around a guy called David Crow. It's Krooper. Yeah, David Krupa. Uh, he was Krupa. Th- yeah, Krupa. K R O U P E. Um, this uh, story takes place in starts in 2012 in Omaha, Nebraska. 35 year old Dave Krupa. So Dave moved to Omaha in 2012 after taking a job managing an auto repair shop. So he was a mechanic. At the time, he'd just separated from his long-time girlfriend of 12 years, Amy Flora, with whom he had two children. She's got a nice name. Yeah. So this was after, yeah, so 12 years. So this is in 2012. So when he first got with Amy, if you know math, it was in the 2000s. (laughs) Well, it would have been 2000 if they split up in 2012. Exactly. So this is the first time been single in in quite a while like like a lot of people that come out of long-term relationships he wanted to start meeting new people after a while having a bit of fun he felt pretty rusty and he decided that he should sign himself up to a couple of online dating sites because in the 2000s i suppose they weren't really a big thing back then so the first person that he met through one of these sites was a woman called Shanna Elizabeth Goyler. Oh, you said her full name. That's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, they, they all they all say their full, full names on this. It's just that okay. Dave didn't have a uh, a middle name. So her her short anyway for short we'll call her Liz. Dave thought this Liz was very pretty. They talked. They set up a date. She was a single mother of two. And her kids were similar ages to Dave's kids. Dave didn't want anything serious or exclusive. He'd just got out of a long-term relationship. And he he made this clear from the beginning with Liz. And she was absolutely fine with that. Dave went on to meet more women. 
and they'd like on a lot of the sources that I was looking at, they just listed out a lot of women's names. So here they are. Mary, Kathy, Joyce, Beth, <laughs> Margaret, and Sandra. Oh, go on. That's, that's about it. No, that's, that's exactly what I've written down. So I've written it down. I was like, a little bit of Kathy in my life, a little bit of Beth by my Sandra side. in the sun. A little bit of Mary. A little bit of Mary night. all night long. A little bit of Mark, a little bit of Sandra. Oh yeah, in the sun, isn't it? And then a little bit of Joyce, here I am. Joyce. <laughs> yeah, but do you not think Joyce and Margaret are really old lady names for 2012? I went to school, primary school, with a girl called Joyce. Margaret, though. That is an old yes. lady name. Maybe she was called Maggie. Maggie's a nice name. Maybe yeah, it was I like, like Maggie. Yeah, I quite Margaret, like Maggie. full name, and then... Maggie, for short. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All of those are simple, casual relationships. After about six months of playing the field, Dave was... Go on, Dave. Go on, Dave. Having fun. Dave was at work, and an extremely attractive woman walks in. Swing! It was like <laughs> slow motion. You know, I can Bugs Bunny when the eyes go out, and then I... Yeah. <laughs> or like she's slow motion walking in and there's a, a breeze <laughs> that flicks her hair. <laughs> you know how every girl works and walks into a car garage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Her name was Carrie Farver. Farver, so F A R V E R. She was a 37 year old computer programmer and single mum to a 14 year old boy called Max. She has. Many friends, uh, and her mum being her best friend. Oh, Cute. Yeah. Uh, she'd bought her car in for maintenance. When they looked at each other, there was a little spark. Banter followed, and then having a bit of a joke and stuff. And then Carrie was showing Dave what was wrong with her vehicle. And as they were both leaning over the engine, they were, like, really close. And her hand... As if she was looking in the engine, though, like she had a fucking clue. <laughs> I don't know if that's what really happened, but the, like, reconstruction of it on 2020, that's what they were doing. And, like, her hash- hand brushed over his and, oh, so yeah. sexual tension in the air. Hmm. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So later on... Dave was back on his dating app and he came across Carrie's profile. So, yeah, he messaged her. And oh, but it's just like really cringy, like, fancy seeing you. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want me to do an oil change on you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he messaged her and asked her out on a date. They went to an Applebee, Applebee's restaurant and the two hit off immediately. He um, invited her back to his apartment after dinner. Uh, as things were heating up... Did they high-five? <laughs> <laughs> Not an unreasonable question, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, things are heating up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie told Dave that she didn't want anything serious. And Dave was like, oh, yeah, jackpot. Because then, for once, he's not the one saying that. Uh, so they spend the night together... Have a really nice time. Wake up the mo- next morning, do the whole awkward breakfast thing. So, 
Carrie thanks Dave for the amazing evening together. She gets up, leaves. He walks her to the door. Real gentleman. High five. Say goodbyes. (laughs) (laughs) So he says goodbye, shuts his door, goes back and sits down on the sofa. And then about 10 seconds later, the doorbell rings. Oh, she's eager. Yeah. And he's like, hmm, maybe she's forgotten something. So he opens the door and it was Liz, the other girl that he's, one of the other girls that he's seen at the minute. No, no, 10 seconds. Right. So they crossed in the hallway, did Liz and oh, Carrie. Awkward, and it, it was a little awkward because Carrie was coming out and Lizzie was going, Liz was going up and it was just a bit like, oh, hiya, bye. But, you know, the, it was, it, even if it is casual, it's still awkward, I'm sure. Oh, gotcha. So Liz had just come over to get something from his apartment that she'd left last time she was there. What? Why are people leaving things at people's houses? I know. I'd be like, no, that's just lost. Lost now. Yeah, gone forever. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, they casually saw each other. It wasn't just a one-time thing. And it was these other Mary and Joyce and Margaret and whatever. It was just like a... I suppose he had one for every day of the week. I don't know. Has everyone got their own drawer? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Labelled. So Liz has walked in. She's picking up. A dildo. <laughs> yeah, whatever she's left. Well, that was it, really. They they just crossed in the hallway and then... Um... Oh, so she didn't have a go on date? Oh, no, no. Everyone knows it's casual. So it was just a bit awkward, but everyone knows it's oh, casual. So No, she got what she, she needed. And, what, like, uh... have a ride? She didn't have a ride? <laughs> yeah. She didn't have a go on it? No, no. Like you say, she, he hadn't she washed. She came to pick up her whatever it was and then left. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Yeah. She didn't have a go on him, for fuck's sake. Tash! Casual, Emma. We she have didn't have a be- go on him, like he's some kind of merry-go-round. <laughs> it's casual, that's what they're doing, isn't it? Yeah. They're like them little rides where you have to put a pound coin and have a go on it. Yeah. Yeah. So Carrie and Dave, they started um, going out over the next few weeks. But Carrie had, um, has this, uh, well, computer programming job and she was spending a lot of time in her office. Uh, her office was five minutes from Dave's apartment, but an hour from hers. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah. So she sees Dave again a few times and he eventually offers, because they're getting on so well, uh, he offers her a key to his apartment until she's finished this project that she's on. Right. So she can work on it longer and not have to, yeah, do the hour-long commute home. They hadn't known each other for long, but it felt right. So they're no longer casual then. They're like exclusive each other now. I don't know how he'd have other girls round if she's there. So. Oh no! Nor do I. I don't think it's going to be for too long. It's just for the next week, I think, or next few weeks. That, right, but okay. you know, so I think he can give up other women just for a week. Well, you'd like to think so. Yeah, wouldn't you? I'd like to. I am divorced. <laughs> yeah, one can hope. Um, on yeah. the thirteenth of November, two thousand and twelve, Dave wakes up for work. Here, Carrie does as well. He gives her a kiss before he leaves, and then later that morning, he gets a text from Carrie saying, "You know what? I, I think things are going so well. Why don't I just stay? Why don't I just move in Weird. fast? Yeah." Uh, and then Dave is a bit like, yeah, no, I mean, he, he like, 
text back saying... He wants to shag other people. Yeah. He says, no, that he doesn't really want to, that he, he still doesn't want anything serious. You know, he's not long got out of this long relationship and he needs to go on the rebound, really, and get his... I think that's valid. I think good for you, Dave. Stand your ground. Yeah. But he said it in a nice way. He wasn't a dick about it. And then plus as well, Carrie was the one that said that she didn't want anything serious. So... Yeah. Yeah. Carrie texting back like immediately within seconds saying fine i'm dating someone else anyway i don't want to see you anymore go away bye go away this sounds really immature (laughs) moody yeah Yeah. so dave is a little bit confused goes home carrie is gone she's moved all of her stuff well not like that she had a lot of stuff in there but yeah she's gone home didn't didn't like their little argument uh he doesn't hear for her from her for about two days and she randomly starts texting him again. And then she starts swearing at him and insulting him, saying that she's, he's ruined her life and that he just used her and stuff. She's oh, dramatic. no, she's one of them. Yep. She'd be what we call a bunny boiler. Yeah. Bunny boiler. Dave is a little bit confused, but also kind of relieved in a way, thinking, well, he's really dodged a bullet there. Yeah. And uh, he's glad that she showed her true colours sooner rather than later. So we'll back up a little bit with a bit of history on Carrie. Carrie became pregnant at 22 uh, with her son that was 14 when she met Dave. The the relationship didn't go well with the father, so she was a single mother at 22 with a young, well, with a a newborn. She um, became very depressed and uh, was eventually diagnosed as bipolar. It was very hard for her and... and, uh, it's a very hard diagnosis, I think, to take. Eventually, later on, she gets a good job and her life starts turning around and things start looking up for her. And she was still at this job when she met Dave. Carrie's mum, Nancy, had been looking after Carrie's son at Nancy's house. Um, so C- Carrie's mum is, is Nancy because her son was in high school, so secondary school. So while Carrie was staying at Dave's apartment, Nancy had Carrie's son. Yeah. Carrie told her mum that she changed her mind and was rethinking things and she was going to take a job in Kansas. Carrie's mum was a little worried about the sudden change, you know, saying that she she was getting on so well at this job. Why why does she need to change? Carrie's son, Max, said that his mum had mentioned this other job in Kansas and she thought it could be a good opportunity. So he, like, vouched for her. Carrie texted her son saying, I'm going to come and pick you up on Saturday and we're going to go to... It was Carrie's brother's, half-brother's wedding. And then we're going to get all the stuff ready and we're going to move to Kansas together. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. The day of the wedding came and went, and Carrie didn't turn up to get her son. She instead decided to spend her days insulting Dave by text. Nancy was getting worried, and even her texts, you know, from her daughter were getting a little bit rude towards her as well, a bit short-tempered. She could tell she was agitated. She's thinking maybe she's off her meds. Yeah. So she was worried and decided to mention her weird behaviour to police. Uh, yeah, because she really suspected that she wasn't taking a medication or anything. And the, this... Why would she call the police like that? It feels dramatic. Because, um, oh, she was only texting her. She, wouldn't, she wasn't calling her at all. She was just texting. I mean, they did text a lot, but because of this whole wanting to move to Kansas, she said, well, come, I'll come and see you, or can you give me a ring and we'll talk about it? And she wouldn't ring her. 
So she got the police to go and check on Yeah, her, like I wanted say. a welfare check. Like a well, okay. Yeah. Fine. The police said that they see this thing a lot and people that are off their medication can be a bit erratic and they can't count her as a missing person or anything like that or look into it because she's an adult. She can do her own thing and she is in contact yeah. with her mum. It's not like she's not contacting her. So the police don't do anything. Meanwhile, Carrie continues to obsess over Dave. She tells him that he ruined her life, that she, she, she just sends him hundreds of harassing like messages every day. Right. She says things like, I will do what I can to make you suffer. And we belong together, Dave. You know, just... Uh, He's up, Carrie. Absolutely bunny boiler stuff. Yeah. Uh, they start to get more and more sinister. Uh, you know, like, I'm going to kill you and, you know, things like that. Just getting really, uh, I mean, is she okay? really bad. No, I don't think so. She's obviously not okay. Then she um, started mentioning the girl Liz that she crossed in the hallway that day. Oh, no, no, poor and, Liz. Yeah, and then she's like, why was she at your house? They must. They saw each Apparently they did, was like, oh, hi, I'm Liz, or hi, I'm Carrie. That's all it was. You know, it's like an awkward, do I say anything, do I not say anything thing. Yeah. So it was all, why was she there and, and everything. And it, not long after that, Liz reaches out to Dave saying that she's starting to get these awful messages from a girl called Carrie. So poor Liz is getting these messages as well now. And Liz had kind of moved on a little bit from Dave, just doing her own thing. You know, wasn't really bothered. On the 23rd of November, someone breaks into Liz's garage and spray paints on the wall. And uh, it says, whore from Dave. What the fuck? <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's not funny, but I I mean if I was gonna go and put graffiti, uh I don't know that I would put from so and so. It's a bit like Tash was here. I dunno. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly like that. Yeah, and also I don't think it was from Dave. Of course <laughs> no. it wasn't from Dave. A little bit of a suspicion that it wasn't from Dave. I think everybody knows that it was not from Dave. <laughs> so Liz uh, reports that, obviously, to Omaha police in 2012. So Nancy was still convinced, so this is Carrie's mum, Nancy was still convinced that something was wrong. So that she was still getting texts from Carrie but, and begged her daughter to call her so that she could hear her voice and she never did. She also said Max, which is her son, started getting messages from her as well, saying that she was going to go to Kansas and come and get him. And just every time she never showed up. Then um, her mum said that the text became mean and angry, saying that I wasn't a good mother and that I was controlling, just slowly kind of descending into... It's not very um, like coherent and stuff. It was ramblings a lot of the time. Is this Carrie doing it? Yeah, it's Carrie. And, it is uh, Carrie. Yeah. So Carrie's, Carrie's lost her damn mind. Okay, yeah. because Carrie isn't dead and someone's doing it on her behalf. No, this is um this is Carrie sending the messages. So she's Carrie's cray cray. She's having a breakdown, isn't she? Yeah. For Dave the harassment wasn't just text and email, he was also being stalked on a email. Once... <laughs> yeah, email as well. well. I shouldn't laugh, but who the fuck's emailing someone? <laughs> 
It's kind of formal, isn't it? Email. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like my nan emails me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. On a, a specific occasion, he was sat in his. <laughs> what email? You're a fucking dick. Best regards. Harry. <laughs> Actually, in this case, it was probably just regards, Becky. That's yeah. how you know someone's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> There's no or kind just regards. Nothing, not even their name. <laughs> just like their name. <laughs> I wonder what she put in the subject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I don't know why it makes me laugh so much. <laughs> But who's giving their email address out? Yeah, I think you can find it, though, quite easy um, if you don't ha- you? lock it down. You can have it as public on Facebook if you wanted, or to your friends only and stuff. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, just things. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if we started emailing each other instead of, like, talking on Facebook. Well, you'd never get a reply, because my email so thing is weird. full of adverts. <laughs> yeah. I'm emailing you tonight, Tash. Yeah. <laughs> And in the subject, just put, hey, <laughs> hey, girl. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. Right, this is 2012, though, right, Bex? 2012. Still two th- 2012. No, I so, know, I know. It just really makes me laugh, okay? Like, Facebook was, what, just beginning? But I also think, weird, that you're having a casual relationship. Yeah, she's got your fucking email address. I think she obviously must be some sort of internet... Oh, no, she's a computer programmer, so she probably knows how to get all this shit. She is, actually. If anyone knows, Carrie knows. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So he said this, this is a quote, on one specific occasion, I was sitting in my lazy boy... Which is a sofa. <laughs> With my feet up. Oh, a lazy boy is like a gaming chair, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it like a really comfy sofa or chair? I don't know. I actually like a dad had, chair. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Please continue. And with my, he said that he was sat in this chair or sofa with his feet up watching TV, trying to relax. And it's, it was at night time and he got a text saying, I see you. You're sitting on, in your chair with your feet propped up wearing a blue shirt. And all these things were true, oh. so she was staring through the window. Fuck that. Nope. Is Carrie the murderer? And also, I do think he needs to get curtains. Okay, lazy boy is like a reclining chair. <laughs> is it? Um, I also feel like bachelor pads, so probably doesn't have curtains. Yeah, it's probably one of them sad single, single dad apartments, isn't it? To yeah. be fair. So, Fuck one sake. night in January. What? What's up? The cat keeps touching me and it's frightening me. And also, <laughs> Carrie at the window is frightening. Yeah, she needs to behave. Like, that's fucking weird. Yeah, she's to calm down. And all this time, this is now January 2013, so it's two months later. She still hasn't been to see her son. That's you know. So, anyway, this... I mean, Dave must have a massive cough. <laughs> Why Again? hasn't Dave blocked her? 
Uh, he does. He blocks her. She gets a new number, and he st- she starts it all over again. She must be on like oh, burner phones. I don't know. Uh, and I don't know how he does change his number, and she found it again. So I don't know. She's a cyber person, isn't she? Hmm. She's a tech whiz. Or yeah, she is. I don't know. I I don't know what she's planted in his apartment. When you're obsessed, come on, girls. We all know what it's like when you want to like get dirt on someone or. You become the FBI, don't you? Not quite to this extent. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, one night in January 2013, so almost two months later uh, since everything began, Dave was returning home from work and passed by a parking lot near his apartment and saw Carrie's car. And he, because he'd worked on this car, he knew he knew the make and model and everything, and he was pretty sure that it was yeah. it was her car. So he took a picture of it. Uh, with the license plate and sent it to the police. The police saw that it was registered to carry, and he went and they went and searched the car. They were able to find a, only a single fingerprint on a mint con- container that didn't match Carrie's fin- um, fingerprints. Oh, and that didn't match. Yeah, that didn't match Carrie's or anyone on the FBI's national database. So why was Carrie's fingerprints on that though? I think they'd gone to her apartment and got uh, her fingerprints off stuff there because her apartment was empty as well. They couldn't find anyone there. Liz and Dave began dating again because they, you know, they're not dating, but it was very casual again. they kind of been brought back together by all these awful texts and that. And there'd be times where they'd be hanging out together and Carrie would start completely blowing up their phones and they'd both be getting texts at the same time and... You know, like showing each other what mental. Jesus, who needs this in their life? I know. Then, when Dave, uh, a few days later, Dave was home alone and he got a text, a photo text of a woman that looked like Liz tied up in the back of a car. God. Yeah, Dave was like, "Oh my god!" And he called Liz and he's like, "Are you okay? Are you in a trunk?" And she was like, "No. Why?" <laughs> And um, so she just must have found this photo that looked a little bit like Liz. You know, cause Liz was like, "No, I'm I'm at home. I'm I'm fine. Don't so, worry." Yeah. Yeah. Please continue investigating, but couldn't find much. Liz and Dave gave over their phones so that they could download the content on there and uh, the call logs and stuff to help track Carrie down. Meanwhile, weeks turned into months, and Nancy still hadn't found her daughter. One beacon of hope arrived after five months after Carrie disappeared when uh, Nancy says a man called her and said that he'd seen Carrie at a homeless shelter oh. and she wanted Nancy to pick her up. And bless her mum, she was. She said, I was shaking. I thought, oh my God, we're going to bring her home. She's going to be okay. You know, because she's obviously having some sort of breakdown and yeah, yeah, needs yeah. her mum. And they were best friends, you know, they were really close. Nancy said that she raced over to the shelter and that investigators met her there, but when they arrived, they learned that Carrie had never even been there. And that was a man that called them in. So that's weird. So what was that? Was that like a prank call or...? I don't know. I couldn't find much else, unless it was a mistaken identity or whether she really was there. I don't know. So... A few months later, in the August, Dave gets a call from Liz and she's screaming and said that someone's set her house on fire. Oh my god. 
Luckily, her and her children weren't home at the time, but all of her pets had died. All of her belongings were gone. That's horrendous. She had dogs, cats. She had a snake as well, a bit random. But they're all they all perished in the fire. That's awful. Police yeah. investigate and they confirm it was arson. That it was an in- well, it was um, intentionally set. Two weeks later, Dave's mechanic shop gets vandalized, spray painted. Dave beats women all over it. Dave, Dave throughout all this, <laughs> is still dating other women. <laughs> um, but the day after those women could like leave and. They just start getting messages from Carrie. She finds everyone and starts messaging them. My God, she's crazy. I know. It's almost like she lives in the internet. I don't know. Almost like she's booked his home. Mm. Yeah, but she's obviously hacked him, hasn't she? So She's yeah. got cameras in his house or something. He's a fucking creep. I think something like that. Um, one night he was chilling with a friend, so this is... A friend, not a romantic person. Um, romantic person. They're not romantically involved. No high fiving. <laughs> no high fiving, but just strictly well, friendly high fives. Exclusively high fiving, because you know friends can high five. So no, you've just made high fiving yeah. very weird for me from now on. <laughs> yeah, if you high five me, do you, is that sexual? <laughs> Only if we're naked. <laughs> okay. One night he was chilling with a friend and a brick gets thrown through his window. And Dave was just like, well, this is my life now. I have this woman. No one can find her, but she's completely harassing me. She's like a spy. Well, surely just set someone out round his house and at some point they're going to catch her. Yeah, exactly. But they, I don't, they don't seem to take it too, too seriously. I think it's... I don't know if they just get a lot of... Well, he just probably, they, they probably think she's like a scorned woman, don't they? Like, she wanted to be with him, he said no. Yeah. They just probably think she's bitter, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, in 2015, so two and a half years after it started, and Carrie's always on and off doing a harassing, detectives Ryan Avi and Jim Doty of... Oh my god. Potawatomi County. Potawatomi. <laughs> so from that county sheriff's office anyway, in um, Iowa, they took on the case. So in 2015. They go back over all the evidence, so all the phone evidence and stuff. So they noticed the texts from Carrie have spelling errors, which didn't... Which Carrie... It never happened before. And also... She hasn't withdrawn any money out of her bank account. So even if she was sleeping rough, she'd still need money. She's like gone full feral. Yeah, so they... No, I think Carrie's dead. So they come to the conclusion that they think she's dead and someone's impersonating her. I think that too. I think she's gone full feral. Like, she's just walking about on all fours, growling at people. Well, like... (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden remembers... (laughs) 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 Dave! That prick. (laughs) Please call Dave in for an interview and, like, an update on the case. They say... They uh, kind of drop a bomb on him and say that they have a huge amount of evidence that points to Liz as being the one as impersonating Carrie. 
what the fuck? This is like yeah. a great plot t- twist. Did not see that Didn't, coming. No, absolutely not. Yeah. You kind of figured it out earlier, though, maybe a little bit. You were having an inkling to hire to lie. Um, so Dave does not believe it. He said that they only met for about five seconds. And why would she burn her house down and kill her pets and like lose everything she's ever owned? Because she's fucking mental. And then also, he was like, well, how can you explain that the fact that we were sitting there together and our phone started beeping at the same time with no one touching it? And we were, we were talking and like, she didn't, she didn't, she wasn't texting on a different phone. I, there was no way I could see her hands and everything. Yeah. So what they'd done is they'd gone back through all of the old content, uh, on the, from Liz's phone that she gave over in 2013. They found a photo of Carrie's car that had t- been taken about a month before D- Dave and police found it. So she knew that Gary- Carrie's car was parked there and didn't say anything. Why? So they found as well on Liz's phone a photo of the woman tied up in a boot of a car. They also matched the fingerprint found in the car to Liz's fingerprints. Also found out that before all of this texting and harassing had started, Liz had called Carrie's home phone about 10 times, but using the, was it 1471 that we used to put so that it oh, hide yeah. your number? I think it was 1571. Something like that. I can't remember. It's been years, but she'd do it so it'd call on it. So it'd call from a blocked number. Yeah. So... Um, on December 4th, 2015, Liz walked into the police station to file a complaint against Amy Flora, which is Dave's ex-girlfriend. So she said that she believes that it's Amy that's behind the harassment. And uh, also, by the way, Dave's gun's missing. Oh my god. So just... Uh, Did Dave know his gun was missing? I think it, I think it was him that mentioned it to her. Right. And they're still seeing each other, you know, on and off. <laughs> Dave's still seeing Liz. And I don't think, I don't think, I'm not sure if he'd seen us. He really didn't believe it. He was like, no, he, he didn't believe it at all. The next day, right, yeah, so she walked into the police station and reported that. And then, coincidentally, the next day, she was shot in the leg while walking alone at night. And she said that it was Amy, who she thinks that it was Amy that shot her. I think she shot herself. Well, someone that probably burned their own house down, I don't think shooting themselves in the legs is much further than that. As part of their investigation into the case, detectives asked Liz if they could once again download the contents of her phone so that they could look into Carrie. She agreed to do it again. So this time they um, they downloaded absolutely everything. All the files, all the apps that's on there, everything off the phone. So on the phone they found that Liz had set up to about 20 to 30 fake email addresses which she was using an app and was using an app to delay the messages. You know, like when they were together, that they their phones beeped at the same time. Yeah. She'd use an app to time when the messages get sent so that um that they got their messages together and it looked like she wasn't doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, does it make sense though? Like, Liz, what are you gaining from this, hun? I know. There we are. Bad mouthing Carrie. Sorry, Carrie. Yeah. 
My Carrie, R.I.P. That's when detectives came up with a plan. They told Liz that they believed her and that they want her wanted her to reach out to Amy to see whether she would incriminate herself. So Liz was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can get you the information. Really good way with words, me. So Liz sent Amy, air quotes, an email. And immediately, uh, so she sent her an email and uh, asked her what she'd done to Carrie. And uh, immediately started forwarding the emails to the detectives that were supposedly from this fake Amy, confessing to shooting Liz. So she confessed to stabbing... No, no, she confessed to... Yeah, confessed to shooting Liz in the leg and also confessed to stabbing Carrie three to four times uh, in the chest and stomach and then stuffing her in a garbage bag. Wait, is she on crack to think that they're not going to be able to track her IP address? Well, this is exactly what they do. And then they're like, oh, wow, Liz, you're such a good... You're such a good police detective. We really need more information, though. Yeah, so like two emails and and she's confessed all. Like, yeah, exactly. And they were like, we really need more information. You need to get Amy to admit where the body is. That's what we really need to catch her. And you're doing so well. <laughs> like a child. Yeah. And then while they're saying that to Liz, they say they need Liz to kind of go off the rails a little bit. So they asked Dave if you can if he can tell Liz that he's moving back into a- in with Amy in the attempt to like drive her crazy. Yeah. So he says, Hello, "Let's get her to kill somebody else. That's a good idea." <laughs> I do find this a bit risky to be honest. I hope they put protection on uh, Dave when they do this. Yeah. So he does it and um he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to move back into a- with Amy. I'm worried that she's going to Carrie's going to hurt her and the kids and stuff. And it works and Liz just loses it. On the 2020 episode that I watched and then other clips, you can just hear her going off on one. She just sounds like a child. Just She was going like, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair, and, and this and that. It just really sounds like a little bit of a paddy. Yeah. <laughs> so they go back to Liz and like, we really need you to tell us what, what Amy said because we need to find this evidence. And she says... She does this and the fake Amy emails back and said that she stabbed Carrie inside her car. So what they did with the car, because they have the car in evidence already, they strip the car completely back and they eventually find traces of blood, like a patch of blood in the car, right under the carpets and stuff. And it was Carrie's blood. So now they have their crime scene. So while Liz was brought in for questioning, police searched her apartment and found some of Carrie's possessions including a digital camera and camcorder. They um, found a storage unit as well, uh, which I think was Dave's, but Carrie must have known where it... Not Carrie, Liz must have known where it was. So they find... They search there as well, and they find an iPad there with Carrie's SD card in. And they find on there a photo of a foot that has a tattoo on it that was... Well, that was Carrie's foot. And they now have proof that she's dead because the foot was decomposing in the photo. You could see that it was a rotten foot. That person was not alive. That's gross. Mm. Why is she taking photos of dead feet, man? I know. What was it in the 
You know, the, the Craigslist one, that was a sock-covered foot as well. I don't know what well, it is I mean, about feet. feet full stop, man. Like, yeah. You know, least of all dead ones. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the proof that they needed to show that she was dead. And then, finally, on December 12th, 2016, four years after Carrie had vanished, Liz was arrested and she was eventually charged with first-degree murder. And that's when Dave realised that the woman he was currently dating on and off was actually the person who'd been stalking him for over four years. She'd burnt down her own house, killing her pets, shot herself in the leg, and Carrie, bless her, had been dead this whole time. I mean, Jesus Christ, I bet Dave needed some therapy after that. Fuck me. I mean, that story did not go how I think it was. No, same, same. I mean, we were definitely, I mean, definitely thought Dave was going to be the murderer. No, I thought it was Carrie. Well, I initially thought Dave thought he was going to be some creepy Tinder murderer. Yeah, yeah, same at the beginning, yeah. But, like, why is she so obsessed with Dave? I'm I'm just going to have to go anyway and delete all dating apps because... I don't need that hustle in my life. <laughs> yeah. There was also a book written about this by an author called Leslie Rule, and it's called A Tangled Web. That's which, definitely uh, one tangled fucking web. What a plot twist, man. Yeah, well yeah. done, Becky. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, it was good one. I really enjoyed it when I, I found out. I was like, yes. So my sources as well was mostly a 2020 episode. And then a Times article as well. So the 2020 episode was season 43 and episode 7. And uh, yeah, I think it's about... So she's in prison for life? Uh, Yeah, life in prison. Good. (laughs) Did they ever find Carrie? No, it was never found. But because they found the photo of the foot... They never found Carrie? No, they never found her body, no. That's terrible. And Liz never said where she was? No, but there was two and a half years that had gone by, so she would have just been bone. So I think that she just didn't, couldn't remember where she... Um... I mean, Becky, she can definitely remember. You remember where you bury someone. I imagine, yeah. <laughs> I was, well, she, she's not very um, mentally stable, well, though, if you just go and... Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. Absolutely not. Sad for her. And there you are. Wow. There we go. Thanks, Bex. I, I thought I had the like the most interesting story tonight, but no, I think you beat me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome. I yeah. it wasn't too when you said about it earlier. I was like, well, it's not too. Obviously, it's sad. Poor Carrie and poor Nancy, her mum. It's kind of like it's not horrifying. No, though, is it? It's just a like a a web of lies and. That would make a good film. Oh no, being watched I'd through watch your window—that's that. fucking creepy, man. Well, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? But I'll and Carrie had film. a son. You know, she was a mum. Yeah, Carrie had yeah, a son, and sad. then bless him, and then that's a Channel Five. And the pets, thing, isn't it? you know, like the Channel Five. Well, yeah. Well, that I just think that it's really heartless. That <sighs> that's just fucking weird. I mean, she must have liked animals. You don't have that many pets if you don't like animals. And then you just go and How burn them all. mental have you got to be to, like, yeah. A, burn your pets, B, shoot yourself in the fucking leg? I mean, whoa. 
People are not smite. People. I know. Even if there was no pets, you wouldn't burn your fucking house down. I bet he's got some like serious PTSD. I bet he's never dated again. You'd have some serious trust issues. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't see everything on the interview that he did, but he just seems really laid back about everything. I mean, I assume, I assume, you know, he's not getting on too, too well and he might have trust issues, but compared to what I would be in his place, no, he, he seems He was coping pretty, pretty well. Yeah, he was still at work. Good yeah. for him. Good I'll for him. I'll send you pictures of uh, everybody for the gram. <laughs> for the gram. Thanks. Should we wrap it up? Because yeah. we have been recording for a long time. I think this might be a long episode. There was a lot of laughing. A lot of stuff can be taken out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to leave the high five in there because we keep referencing it throughout the whole There's episode. There's no way I, I can take the high fiving out. Abs- no yeah, way. But- oh, Mom, I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Does your mum listen? Oh. (laughs) Hi, Tasha's mum. Hi. (laughs) I'm sorry, mum. But it It is is funny. funny. It is funny. Maybe it's a joke. Definitely not a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, so if you want to follow us on Facebook, just type in Spine Chillers and Serial Killers Podcast, and we are there. We're also on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, under, oh, Tash, what is it? S-C-S-K underscore podcast. That's the one. And we've also got an email address, and we'd love to hear from you about anything about if you high-five people (laughs) when you're having sex, (laughs) or if you've had a ghost story or a spooky thing happen to you, or if you've had some kind of true crime murder anything really around your area we want to hear about it and the address the email address is bex yeah it's chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com that's the one cool that's the one all right then Uh, i've had i've got two um stories that but we'll have to um they weren't emailed in, they were given to me personally, but I'll uh, have to write them out properly and then I'll read them another time. Okay, sounds cool, sounds cool. What What are they? Are they murdery or are they spooky? No, more for you. Spooky. Cool. Spooky. All right, girls, I've just got one thing to say. Go on. There are seven dead soldiers <laughs> in the walls. <laughs> Stay safe, guys. Don't kill people. <laughs> Keep it weird. Bye. Bye.